Hello, you are listening to The Power of Investing in People with Shay Sparks. I had the honor of being on the show with Shay and wow, how authentic she is and how much I know that she wants to keep hope alive in the community. So thank you all for joining. And everyone here today, I'm offering a special to all active duty or retired military to my all access on-demand training where we learn how to dream, believe, and achieve our best life. Please visit at timlanefitness.com and I'll see you all soon. Enjoy the show. You are listening to On the Road segment of the Power Investing in People podcast with Shay Sparks. This episode was recorded while on the podcast and book tour, the second live and in-person interview in the heart of the Gulf Coast of Florida in a Panera restaurant, so please excuse any background noise. This is On the Road featuring, featuring the inspirational Josh White. From being in the Honor Guard to Public Health in the Air Force, Master Sergeant Josh White shares his inspirational story of surviving a heart complication. Also, we discuss how important connection and relationships are to our human experience for our mental and emotional health. And he shares his journey of sobriety, gratitude, and living a purpose-driven life led him to start a podcast. Stay tuned for his inspiring story. You don't want to miss it. I'm Shay. I'm Josh. And, and we, we are the Traveling, traveling Podcasters. Podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's too fun. That was exactly what I hoped it would be. Epic. Y- yes, totally epic. So welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. And to, and I am your host, Shay Sparks, the Chief Excitement Officer of Sparks of Fire International, where we get you fired up about your life and your business by transforming trauma into treasure. So check out my new co-author collaborative book called Hashtag Firestarters, How to Be a Spark of Hope in the Midst of Change on my website at shaysparks.com. Shout out to Joe Bogdan. (laughs) Yes, and Chief Master Joe is in the book as well. So, but... Today, as you can already tell, we've been having fun sitting here in, in Fort Walton Beach, area. Fort Walton Beach, yeah. Florida, right near Destin, right near Destin. And actually, here's the funny part about this is that this is on the road with Shay Sparks. Today, my guest is none other than the most amazing Josh White. Thank you so much. Can you insert like a cheesy applause right there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's get a soundboard. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, because I need more stuff to you carry need more with equipment. me in my car. Yeah. yeah. And this has been, you are about my third, I believe, second or third episode of On the Road with Shay Sparks during my tour. And this, I'm so glad that you took time to meet with me. I'm glad you drove from God knows where and stopped here. <laughs> thank you. No, thank you. This is down the road to me. You're driving all over the world, so thank you. Oh, you're welcome. No, seriously, and I just, you know, we connected online, and suddenly I'm here in person with you. Like, if that doesn't just show you the power of podcasting relationships, getting out of your comfort zone, in what world, in what scenario would this have happened? Right. If we didn't have this, you know, common appreciation of talking, talking. 
Yeah. True. Getting after Just talking. It. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What's so fun to me is Josh and I met through social media, Facebook, Instagram, something. Right? One yeah, of those. I think because of the Shadows podcast, he told me to add you. Oh, like, okay. Hey, you need to meet her. You need to add her. Got it. So, we so can shout think- out to Bodie. <laughs> Bodie. <laughs> And what's so, oh, thank you for that, by the way. And I'm so glad you did add me and then come to find out you had just been at Whiteman just a few minutes down the road from me. And here was like, wait, we didn't connect in person then? That's crazy. Yeah, that broke my heart when you were like, are you still at Whiteman? And I was like, no. <laughs> You're like, are you in Florida? I'm going to Florida. I was like, yes. Faith restored. Yes, yes. So I, I was <laughs> like, so I'm taking this tour, Josh. And if you're on the way, I'll just figure it out. And he was like, I'm in Destin. I'm like, okay, there we go. I'll figure it. There, done. Yeah. (laughs) That's the good uh, thing about living near beautiful ocean. Yeah. Don't have to really convince people to come visit you. They just kind of want to. Yeah. Once they see the pictures. You know what I'm saying? You were at the beach today. You know. Oh, it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. I wasn't there for long, but it was gorgeous. So before now that we've like talked all that, please tell us who you are. Okay, so, wow, where to begin? So, I grew up primarily in Waldorf, Maryland. Well, first of all, tell us your title. Of uh, my podcast? No, the the title in the Air Force. (laughs) But you can talk about your podcast, too. Can you edit that out? Just kidding. We're keeping it real. We're doing it live. Doing Um, it live. So, I am Master Sergeant Josh White. I am most known as the Honor Guard Program Manager from my time at Whiteman Air Force Base. That's how... I've made most of my Air Force connections and when I started kind of pursuing my own podcast endeavors. However, my career field is public health, so I am right back in the COVID craziness, Mm -hmm. COVID ops. It's a very unique time in our med groups across the world. And uh, so I'm a part of that mission right now, stationed at Eglin Air Force Base, and I'm in charge of community health. So I track all the diseases and then report those. We educate. We do food inspections to make sure they're following the food code. We do mosquito trapping during the summer uh, to make sure there's no crazy West Nile virus floating around. Yeah. Uh, we team with CE for pests like you know roof rats and spraying for mosquitoes. And so basically the overall, exactly like the title, public health. Got it. There's a lot that goes into yeah. keeping a base safe, a whole lot. And so it's a really cool job, really unique. You get to, to move around, get out the office, which is what I love, and meet people from all over the base. So that's what I do in the Air Force. Awesome. Yeah. So before you dive into your personal history, yeah, I always I'm trying to get better at that. By the way, because <laughs> you know when you talk about yourself, yeah, you'd be like, like, well, then my dad met this person, and then uh, I went here, and then like you know, 30 minutes have gone by, and you're like, come on, let's go. Like I get it. Like then what? <laughs> but yeah, you're like, well, so first I was born, and then middle school I was best dressed, and then. <laughs> That's what I did right? on the Shadows podcast when I went back and listened to it. I was like, let me just fast forward that part. Let's just pretend that didn't happen. That didn't happen. So I always like to start off with the first question of what does investing in people mean to you? What does investing... Oh, God. I've come to also realize... But okay, real quick. ADD moment, but real quick. This is the... Second time I've been a guest, I was just one on The Shadows. Yeah. It's a much different experience. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, I, this is the third time. Third time I've been a guest, so still relatively new when I'm the one talking the whole time instead of like thinking of a question. It's hard to be a guest, so I will mm-hmm. say that. It's hard to be put on the spot with some deep, thought-provoking question 
that's very new to me. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing I will tell you is this is the first in-person podcast Yay! that I've ever done. <laughs> And it is a blast. It's really cool. So, okay, ask the question again. Just had to throw that disclaimer in case yeah. I, you know, go off the rails a bit. Sure. What does investing in people mean to you? What does investing in people mean to me? Okay, so I would have to say making those around you better, mm-hmm. ultimately, I would say is investing in people. However, you cannot do that unless your cup is full. Mm, so true. I've come to learn. Like... And, and when your cup's not full and someone needs you and you know you can't be there, it's heartbreaking. Mm. It's heartbreaking. So my goal is not only investing in people by m- making them better and being there for them any which way I can with my own experiences, my own connections, and sharing that with them. Not only is it that, but it's taking care of myself, living by my own high standards of myself. We all have that internal standard of ourself and we know in our heart when we're slipping from that standard so i need to stay true to myself that means eating right exercising meditating doing all the things that on paper waste time but because we're human being it just fills our cup reading yeah learning yeah taking time to do that if i do that then i can start being there for people then i can start lifting them up to my level taking them with me on my journey and getting them to the next level. So that's what it means to me. I love it. You know, it's it's just such a beautiful thing when I hear that type of answer because for me, how this all got started was literally investing in yourself and how it naturally overflows. And it can't overflow unless it's already filled up. There right? you go. So you're pouring from a full picture rather mm-hmm. than an empty picture. So I love that you nailed it. Yes. Yes, I passed. <laughs> I was going to say, you could do a mic drop, please. Don't no, I don't want to hurt your equipment. <laughs> don't actually drop the mic, but yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that answer. So I'm curious, is there someone that in- invested in you to really kind of help you say, hey, Josh, you know, you're kind of giving a little too much now. You're just like depleting yourself. Was there someone in you who kind of took you along, maybe a mentor or something that said, hey, you might want to readjust some things here. Like that I was giving too much? Mm-hmm. I hope it doesn't sound bad, but no. And if I'm being completely transparent, if I can't give someone something, I'll tell them. Perfect. So you yeah. have great boundaries. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't want to pretend that I can do something that I can't. Mm. And I want to be real with myself. I guess I've been down the path like many others of, you know, basically lying to myself i could do that task i could take that on i could take that on i could take that on and pretty soon you got nothing and you're failing at all of it simultaneously right so if i ever get to that point i tell them straight up like i'm sorry like i'll I'll try to find someone who can help you but like straight up i can't be that person to you right now i'm sorry and just tell it to them straight good for you good for you for learning boundaries you probably didn't even know you learned them, but you had them. It's from a history of failures. Okay. And I just got tired of, you know, eventually you start to catch on to the pattern. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm ultimately just going to let this person down who is relying on me. I gave them my word. Yeah. And just kind of thinking things through and kind of getting a sense of what 
you're capable of and what you're not capable of. You, you just get used to it. It's like muscle memory. I get to the point now where I know when I'm at my limit mm-hmm. and I know when I cannot take on anymore and I'll make that clear. And But I'll still help them find someone. Don't, I'm not going to just straight leave them hanging. I know people. I'll find someone to, to be there to do that for you. That's awesome. Where do you think that comes from, that that wanting to, even though you can't personally help, but still finding someone else to help? Probably the Air Force. Yeah? <laughs> so an Air Force rule that's put into all airmen on inspections, because inspections are a big part of Air Force culture, mm-hmm. is never, ever tell them that I don't know. Mm. That's told to us from day one, and I've been in almost 17 years now, and that has not changed. That don't ever tell an inspector I don't know. Or, or don't let that be all you. Tell them you don't know, but you're going to find the answer for them right now. Mm. And take them with you or tell them to sit tight, pull up that reference. Because it's, it's basically admitting, hey, I'm human. I can't memorize the 20 you know, regulations that mandate my job word for word. Mm-hmm. But if I can reference it and I can get you that answer you know, relatively quickly because I know where to look or I know who to ask, that's good enough. And so I will never just leave someone hanging. It's pretty much embedded in me. It's just muscle memory. It's locked into who I am now. So for me, what I'm hearing is really is a leadership value of integrity. You're that person that, you know, if you can't do it, you'll help somebody else at least be able to do it that's amazing so you're not just leading by example you're really bringing to the forefront that whole um not do as i say you're do as i do because you're putting in the work right i i wholeheartedly believe in that i'm trying to i guess now more than ever acknowledge the human factor of being in the military yeah so when I first joined, I thought being in the military was you have to be perfect. You have to be robotic almost. Mm-hmm. You have to be... Because basic training is a little bit like that. A little bit. Like, they'll criticize everything you do. Right. <laughs> I and mean, you can't do anything right. Right. It's It'll make you go mad. But then as time went on, I kind of just grew to accept that the Air Force is a family in itself. I was in denial of that for a while. And a lot of people are. I see it all the time. Not everyone feels, you know, the way that I'm explaining it to you. Mm-hmm. But for me in my heart and, like, what's right and how I know I'm being the best me is if I accept the fact that I view my Air Force coworkers as a family mm-hmm. and I treat them as family as best I can. And I didn't – I tried to not see it like that. I tried to keep a barrier. I tried to keep that away and not mm-hmm. close to my heart, you mm-hmm. know, try to keep work at work. But I've just, to be the best me and to just face the truth of how I truly feel to my core, it's that this is my family and I want to set them up for success in the future because, you know, I'm, I'm going to retire. I want the Air Force to be in good hands. Yeah. And if I care for them like family, that's the best type of environment that I've ever been in. You know, when everyone looks at each other that way, everyone's there for each other. And I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because I don't want to let Shay down. I don't want to let you down because I care about you. Don't let me down, Josh. I won't. 
You know, I, I love that you're really talking about the aspect of family. I feel like so a lot of my listeners are either veterans or military leaders or leaders in small business. And for me, I am that like family is so important. That connection is so important that when you're creating a team as a leader is to really connect as a family and create that kind of unit. And I feel like you either come from a bad home and now you crave that family or you've come from a really good home and you want to recreate it and, and because you know how important it is. So which one of those did you come from? Did you come from a not a great home and you're like, oh, I, family is so important? Or were you, mm. is it like, oh, this was the, the best? And so let's just keep going and recreating it. So it's a little bit of both, I think, for me. So my dad was in for 26 years, and then he did 10 more as a GS-13 at Andrews. So 36 years service. He was a senior master sergeant, so one rank past me, and then became an officer, then became a commander, and then became a GS-13. So. And he did all that, you know, from starting from nothing in West Virginia, mm-hmm. you know, living in a trailer in West Virginia. He came from, my grandpa was in the Air Force too. And my dad being the competitive guy that he is, you know, he's very competitive. And he was kind of the underdog a little bit. You know, my grandpa was very, thought he was being realistic, but was actually kind of limiting. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. That's not in the cards for you. Yeah. And my dad took that and just said, no. I'm not going to be that. I'm going to surpass that. Mm. I have a different upbringing than him, though, right? Like, I have the opposite upbringing. I yeah. have the, you can do it. You This is your potential. You need to you live up to that. I know you have it in you. So I had the, the opposite. But at the end of the day, I saw the power of the Air Force family, mm-hmm. especially because my dad was in the Guard, which was, he was in the active Guard, so they worked every day, but they're only stationed at Andrews. They don't move around every four years. Got it. So they truly do get very close. Right. You know, and so I saw that family aspect. I had an aunt and uncle who were married. One's a chief, one's a colonel. Wow. Yeah, just all the Christmas parties and all the friends I made. Yeah. That was just my norm. Normal. Yeah. yeah. So that seed was planted long ago. Yeah, right. You know, I'm kind of living my destiny, I think. But on the flip side, I told you earlier I was the problem child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had this big Brady Bunch type mixed family. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of the middle child. So my sister was much older than me, my stepsister. And then there's me. And then I had four younger sisters who are all basically the same age. Wow. With two of them being twins. Wow. So like they were all collectively the baby. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> My stepsister, D is the oldest, yeah. so I effectively was the middle child. Mm, oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and they would argue that with me, but I know I was the middle child. Right. And so, man, I got the short end of the stick all the time, and <laughs> I craved attention, and I was willing to get in trouble to get it, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, This is why we're kindred spirits, Josh, because I was a troublemaker, too, but I wasn't the middle. And so how the Air Force had helped me with, with that part of my childhood is it gave me the opportunity to forge my own path, mm. to create my own destiny, and to break out of the shell, that invisible ceiling that I've kind of put myself in this invisible box. This is who I am. I'm the troublemaker. Mm-hmm. That's just who I am. That's my path. It allowed me to see past that, to break past that, and to just really tap into my potential by getting rid of all that fear yeah. and putting it to the side. Oh, that's beautiful. Beautiful. So 
I, I'm just curious, and I, I know that we've talked about it, and I, I just wanted you to share it with the listeners. So, take us back to Josh getting in trouble in high school and going, knowing that the Air Force was in your lineage. I mean, literally. So, did you ever think, well, maybe I should do something else, or maybe I'm not going to do any, anything like that? I think I went with the I'm not going to do anything like that at first Mm -hmm. because I was very rebellious. I still am. I still find a way to exercise rebellion even in the military. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) Because, like, I think Arnold Schwarzenegger has a quote where he he says you have to break the rules sometimes. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. And Simon Sinek even talks about breaking the rules, too. And basically what they're getting at is taking chances. Yeah. Right? Not like legit breaking the law or the rules. But what they're talking about is doing something that someone else thinks might be a little too risky but has a big payoff. Yeah. That to me is rebellion. Mm. You know, the maverick mindset. And I, I, I channel it now in a positive way. But as a kid, I was really entertained by shock value mm-hmm. and really entertained by... Not listening to people, I, I it was very immature, and I thought that was funny. And so for a while, I just I had no plan. I'm going to be honest with you. I had. <laughs> you were like, I'm graduating, and that's all I know. Yeah, I I just you know was very aloof and thought, well, something will just fall in my lap, mm-hmm. you know. And then I, I had the painful realization that's not going to happen. Right. Right. <laughs> like I think I went to a job interview. My parents are like, Do you think you can just get any job? And I was like, Yes. Mm. They're like, okay, let's see it. Let's see what you. Let's see you try. Yeah. And I dressed up all nice. Got my hair all spiked. You know. Spiked. Got the got the puka shell necklace. You mm, know. Yeah. It's two thousand three. Just looking like a Backstreet Boy. Mm-hmm. You know. I say, did you have blonde tips? I had blonde tips. Yep, yep. Like a flannel, like button up, some cargo shorts. Mm. I mean, I was on point. Yeah. And I go into like a Dick Sporting Goods or some some type of store like that. Yeah. And the guy I was competing with the job, like, he was an athlete. <laughs> oh that of course it's Dick's Sporting Goods <laughs> and I was a gamer oh got it and I was like man I could outdo this dude like straight up I don't care if he plays sports but then he completely crushed me and got the job <laughs> and I was like whoa what how would they not pick me like this not no what right. reality it, sets in reality sets dun, dun. in and honestly it, what started to sink in was failure hmm I think this is the first time I really sensed my internal ego maybe not in a negative way but just in general yeah and i thought about what my dad had accomplished i thought about the setbacks that he had yeah i didn't have those setbacks Mm. compared to him i was spoiled Mm. you know i might have been neglected from time to time but in compare there's no comparison yeah between the two of us yeah and i thought i can't fail you know i looked into college i saw the debt that came along with it right the numbers were the debt was just too ridiculous i couldn't allow myself to suck at high school because i wasn't trying then to risk it all on paying for it like that was out of the question it's a huge bet even i knew i wouldn't pull that off right right (laughs) and so that's when i really started soul searching actually i read a book at that time called the purpose driven life yeah yes (laughs) Yeah. Which is a Christian book. Mm-hmm. I started going to a, a Christian or a, a, like a, a New Age Baptist type Christian church where like 
they were really big into like youth stuff and i really hit it off with his name is chris rodenheiser he's in virginia he's still there like to this day oh that's nice and my mom she would take me there i was living with her at this time because she lived in virginia and it just opened my eyes to like my path mm-hmm. like i started seeing like like thinking about my future and like that book just had me like seeing signs to like yeah. point me in certain directions and mm. And I was like, is this like really pointing me to this direction? I just felt like my heart was telling me to join, that I had some plan, some purpose in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And after after I read that book and I lived with my mom and I was working at a GameStop, which was cool. I was playing Halo and beating people in the store and stuff. It was cool. But I was like, I can't. There's got to be something else. Like, yeah. I can't do this forever. Mm-hmm. Like, I got to set something up. I got to right. set my future self up. And me, like many other people, just said, you know what? I'll just do six years and I'll get out. Because mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to lose my friends. Sure. And you know what? I was lying to myself when I said, I'm going to do six years and get out. In my heart, I wasn't positive on where I would go or if I would really get out. I just told myself that mm. so that I would actually do it. Ah, but I what I was actually doing was leaving my whole life behind forever. I was leaving every friend, my family, marriages, children born. All of it. I was leaving it all behind me mm. and starting a new life. And had I truly grasped that, I never would have had the courage to leave. I had to lie to myself to to leave. The purpose-driven life, I think, is such a catalyst for so many people when they read that book. And I know your backstory a little bit because you've been on the Shadows podcast. So I'm just curious to know if there was a time where you kind of lost sight of your purpose. <laughs> was there yeah there's many times and i think that's just life kicked my butt mm-hmm. <laughs> i wasn't equipped for what life had in store for me i didn't have the tools to deal with it i mean straight up sure i was kind of delusional because i had this very narrow scope of the world and when i joined the air force and Suddenly, I was surrounded by people who needed a mission done, and they didn't give a crap how I felt about it. Right. They needed it done. There was no, but, 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 that didn't matter. You're on 12s, if that's what it took. Right, right. You're going to make this happen. And that was kind of alarming. Like, when you're surrounded by, your like, a loving family, and suddenly you're in an environment where it, you, you're taking care of you, and that's it. You are depending on you. That's all you got. Mm-hmm. Like, because they say being an airman or being new to the military in general is one of the st- most stressful, hardest times of, like, of careers out there. How did you feel when you were going through? I thought I might have made a horrible decision. Mm. Yeah, I remember I was in tech school. My tech school was six months long. To put that in perspective, most Air Force tech schools are like a month. Oh, okay. Aerospace ground equipment with all the flight line equipment, all the wiring diagrams, all it just inherently is long it has to be it's six months long that was the longest six months of my life i mean wiring diagrams i never looked at a wiring diagram and i mean you fail two tests you're done so you could be at month five and you're done you're going home and that fear is just oh it's just maddening and i remember it really hit me when i was doing like cq duty it's where like you have to sit and monitor some hall for x amount of hours Mm kind of pointless thing but you know you're in a training environment so they want to make sure there's eyes on people at all times yeah and i'm doing the cq duty on my birthday on night shift 
and I just like broke down. I was like, because mm. I just missed home. Like, sure. I'm, what am I doing? I'm on my birthday by myself. Mm. Doing what? I'm in an empty hallway in the middle of the night. And it, and I, I really doubted it. Did I make the right decision or not? And how did you cope with that? Or did you cope with that? I think I just told myself to trust the process. That if this was easy, then everyone would be doing this. It's right. not easy. And, you know, talking to the instructors about it, like when I was having that hard time, and they're just like, look, this is to weed out anyone who has that doubt. If you have that doubt and you can't handle it, then you're not going to last in the, in the military. And so this is harder so that we know you're all in. Mm. Like, just trust the process. Like, hang in there. And I made a ton of great friendships there, and I was able to healthily, you know, in a healthy way, vent and to the instructors and to my friends. And I, I met a few really good instructors that were very, like, would take you aside and kind of be like, look, this is, and tell you the real deal. Kind of turn the instructor mode off and turn the human on. Mm -hmm. And those little moments got me through it, got, had, gave me the faith that if I stuck this out, you know, it would lead to bigger, better things. You know, trusting the process is so difficult when you're in when you're in it, right? When you're in the process. Mm -hmm. And I've been told that when I had to go to AA. They were like, oh, you just have to tr trust the 12 steps. And I was like, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> and then I became a coach. And I say the same thing, like, just the process, just your process. Yeah. Because we help people cook process whatever it is that they're going through or they're feeling or they're thinking so i just find it fascinating that the military is also taking on that as well trust the process absolutely yeah, yeah. how did you get through aa like i don't know this about you we didn't talk about this but i know it about you so yeah, yeah great question so i was 16 when i got a dui and was mandatory sentenced to attend aa and it was brutal for me being a troublemaker because the woman who was my drug counselor or sponsor, I guess you would say, was an ex-heroin addict. And it took her like five minutes to say one sentence. So it was very hard for me to not be that like bratty 16-year-old, like, come on, lady, what are you going to say? And push through. And I, yeah, and I just had to like check in with her all the time. God, I don't even remember. There was so much I had to do. But it was was really more about, for me, it was more on a spiritual level. Instead of trusting what was happening in AA and her and the other people around me, it was more about trusting in God that he's got this. And that, for me, is actually what helped me through it. Wow, and you probably took that time to like actually think about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, because at 16, I wasn't thinking. I was doing a whole lot of not thinking by drinking, yes. Yeah. yeah, like when I look back to the times I was, you know, drinking daily, it was to not think about anything. Exactly, yeah. And then when you take that away, suddenly you got to face that person in the mirror yeah. for the first time. And it's like you just awoke from a coma. And it's like, hey, you still suck. You ready to figure this out? Yeah. Yeah. And that is hard. That's a hard, and that looks different for everyone, mm -hmm. you know, when that, that switch flips. Like for me, I kept waiting for some rock bottom. Mm -hmm. I was scared of that rock bottom, like yeah. what that would look like, what that would take to make me stop doing this and like finally face the music and, and be the best me. 
And your well, I guess the years you were drinking, like what did that look like for you? It what started in, in Guam, my first base, absolute blast. I just was too immature to handle that lifestyle. I you know, I don't blame my supervisors for taking me out with them. I think they could handle it and they just didn't know that I couldn't. Yeah. Right. One of my friends that was there actually died of alcohol poisoning. Wow. Yeah, he uh he couldn't stop. Wow. You know, and he's the reason I stopped drinking too, which I don't typically mention it often. But in his honor, in a sense, mm. I don't drink because sure. it's my way of something positive coming out of that situation, I sure. guess. But sure. so it started with just a good time in Guam. You know, when you're pissed off, you drink. When you're mad, you drink. And when you're happy, well, you drink. You drink. And pretty soon. You're drinking every day. Yeah. You're getting... In, in when is it enough? It's never enough. No. It's never enough. No. And so that fun turned into depression. I think it always... I think the, just the chemical imbalance of being intoxicated too often, it's just not healthy for you. And I got to Japan. I was on 12s. And suddenly I was drinking just to get through those 12s. And mm. on the flight line, it's just lonely. It's brutal. Just brutal nights out there. You know, too much time to, to contemplate and to think. And by the time I got home, I just wanted to turn my head off. Mm-hmm. And I hated myself. I hated where I was at in my life. I was disappointed in myself. I didn't want to show my face at home or visit because I was so unhealthy. And I was just giving up. I just, wow. I felt, I didn't want them to pity me. Mm. And so I avoided talking to people from home, going home, voided it. And then in Missouri, I got the heart virus from the flu mist just because I had basically no immune system, almost died. Wow. None of that was my rock bottom. Believe it or not. Really? You still went back to drinking after that? Still went that? back. Or- yeah. Wow. Because, you know, drinking affects the heart badly. Yeah. So for our listeners that don't know, share with what happened with the flu mist and what happened to your heart. So the flu mist is a live virus uh, vaccination, which to my knowledge, is discontinued because it has a dangerous level of deaths tied to it, Wow! which statistically isn't high, but high enough to look at other options. And I did the flu mist, but I was super unhealthy. And that live virus mixed with something else living inside me, some that I didn't know was there and made this super virus. Wow. And it made my body try to kill my own heart. Mm-hmm. So my body recognized something in the heart to yeah. attack, and it swelled up huge. And it, the symptoms of it are, it's called myocarditis, and there's different levels of seriousness mm-hmm. with that type of virus. Mm-hmm. There's no cure. There's nothing you can do. Wow. If you're a smoker and you get myocarditis, that's it. Wow. Yeah. You're like that. They, doctors came in, surrounded me, and I'm like, you need to tell us the truth. Do you smoke? Because, like, that would have been it for me. Huh. They knew that. Wow. And uh, I was like, no, I've never smoked. My Aunt Jamie, the colonel, she told me if I was 18 and never smoked, she'd give me $100. <laughs> so you didn't smoke? I, so I didn't smoke. And by the time I turned 18, I just said, why would I smoke now? Right. So, I, of course, I thanked my Aunt Jamie for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good. And so, yeah, I was in the hospital with this swollen heart, and it feels like a heart attack is the mm-hmm. kind of how it, it would feel. They They actually can't discern between the virus and the heart attack they have to do tests to establish which one it actually is how old were you it's like 23 oh my god like fit sure and it's starting to decline i'd say overall fit but enough neglect to to truly go into different class of unhealthy Mm. if that makes sense yeah 
I mean, if I just put you on a 365-day drinking binge, I don't care if you're Michael Phelps. Yeah. By the end of that year, yeah. you're going to be a different person. Right. So after the virus and you, uh, clearly, because you're sitting across from me, mm-hmm. you're such a miracle, <laughs> is that you c- got healed. You mm-hmm. came out of it. So how did they figure it out? And how did you, how long were you in the hospital? So I was in the hospital for about two weeks. And then I was off work for like months because I, I basically had like COPD. Wow. Yeah, it was like damage. Like I couldn't breathe. Sure. In my groin area, they routed a cardiac catheter camera mm-hmm. up me mm-hmm. to check my heart that way. So I had that stint put in. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't walk. But how I got through it initially was my dad visiting me. Mm. Like as soon as he showed up, it was just me and my dad hanging out. Yeah. And I just started healing right away. Wow. Yep. It was just probably that connection that you I wasn't were, lonely. You were missing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing to me that our brains are so wired for a relationship that when it's missing, it's shutting down. It was shutting down from the depression. It was shutting down. I was literally killing me. Wow. You know, and they, like, I mean, you can die of heartbreak. Like, yeah. That's giving up. That's what it, that's giving up. It's not an immediate death, but it's a slow, you're quitting on yourself. And that's, that has physical ramifications. Hmm. So as soon as my dad was in my presence, I started healing. So did you start or quit drinking then as well? For a while. Okay. Yeah. I stopped I stopped drinking caffeine. Anything that would affect my heart at all, I stopped doing. And I thought for a while that was it. I, I was past it. To the, to the, you know, I wasn't. It was a health scare, but it wasn't, it wasn't what I needed because I still had to go back to work. I still had to deal with life. I still, and once that started, right. it's back to drinking again. Wow. So how much longer then did you drink? So after I met my wife, it, it wasn't as frequent because she just wasn't going to put up with it. So oh, I kind of had good. a choice to make. Mm-hmm. Like, do I want to stay married to this woman <laughs> or not? I mean, really, what's more important? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't as frequent, but when I did, it would, I would kind of go overboard sometimes. Sure. You know, I'll just have one that's like six later, like, whoops, how'd that happen? Right, right. <laughs> and that's just my personality. Like, I just understand that about myself now. Mm-hmm. That's a limitation of me. Yeah. When I do something I enjoy, my brain's like, oh, let's go. Don't want to stop. Keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. That's just how I'm wired. It's all or nothing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, once I, once my wife was pregnant, then I started really soul searching. Like, mm. this, I can't. I don't want to bring a child in this world with baggage on me. Right. I don't want to do that. Right. I know the value of a good childhood, and mm-hmm. I've met people that had like this perfect childhood, and they're just naturally more confident. They've, they're just better people. Not always, but right. I've seen what a horrible childhood does to someone, yeah. and I've seen what a fantastic one does. And I want that for my kid sure. so bad. And so that, that was on my mind. And I started with a small goal, the two years in honor guard. Can I just go two years? You know, I, I probably started even smaller than that, but it turned into two years. Nice. And I think that small goal is important. But I'll tell yeah. you the trigger point of me stopping. Yeah. It was not a rock bottom. I didn't I don't think I even said this on the Shadows podcast. Mm-mm. It was not a rock bottom. It was actually something extremely positive and uplifting Mm. that caused me to stop. What was it? So if you remember, I said in the military, I forged my own path. I finally became the best at something Mm -hmm. for the first time in my whole life. Yeah. And that, 
natural high that that gave me was like better than any substance you could ever take. Mm. And I won my first wing award, which was like mind blowing to me. Like I've never won awards. Suddenly I went for the whole base. Nice. My wife's there. I've got this beautiful baby girl. We're new parents. You know, life was good. Yeah. And I go out to eat. I plan on, like, getting hammered. You know, I'm like, I'm going to, I earned this. Right. But that's when it, like, sunk in. Like, I felt so happy mm. that I thought, I don't need this. Yeah. I, I just showed myself I could be happy without it. I just, you know, proven it to myself, mm -hmm. which I thought was impossible. And I showed myself it is possible. That was enough to stop doing it. You mentioned rock bottom. I didn't have a rock bottom either. My rock bottom was the DUI. And then I continued to drink for several years. And it was, I was out with my a boyfriend who was abusive. We went out drinking. And the next morning he said, you do really stupid things when you drink. Of course, he was talking about himself because he was an alcoholic. And God knows how many numbers he would... Also meet women while we were out too. But just by him saying that, I said, that's it. I'm done. And I told the beer in the refrigerator I could never have another one again. That's amazing because like that would not work for most people. Exactly. That would make it worse for most people. Right. So why was that different to you? I don't know. I think something just triggered in my brain that was like, that's it. I'm done. Do I don't need to do this. Do you think it's because like you realized you were on stooping to his level? Like you probably. saw how yeah, disappointed you were in him and for him to criticize you was like, holy cow. Probably. And also one of us had to be sober. And I probably took on the caregiver role then, and yeah. which I did then for many years. But yeah, I had to, somebody had to be sober. Somebody had to take, be the, make the rational decisions. Yeah. So I guess it was me. Wow. But yeah. It's, so how long have you been sober? It's over three years. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. It's been 22. Holy Yeah. 22? No wonder you're so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly why I'm happy. Yes, thank you. Because you earned it. You know, it's kind of like that Buddhist way of living, you know? Yeah. Like, stewing in your thoughts and figuring it out. Yeah. You'll be happier on the other side if you can get through it, but you got to earn it. Right. So I'm going to shift us gears for a little bit. I know that you've started a podcast, so let's talk about that. What made you decide to start a podcast while being in an airman? Gratitude. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Just like that word, gratitude. Mm. You hear it and you're just like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know what gratitude was. I thought I did. I read the, the definition uh -huh. in the dictionary, but I wasn't living it. I, I kind of just... I don't know. I just depended on myself so much. Mm -hmm. I couldn't be thankful for them when I only depended on myself. It's kind of hard to explain. I guess I just didn't open my heart to other people and letting them in. So I wasn't thankful by nature. Sure. I was kind of doing the opposite, mm -hmm. keeping people at bay. Sure. To me, it was all about gratitude. And when I got to, again, base honor guard, yeah. I'm with all these airmen from all over the base, you know, in total, close to a couple hundred. And I saw the power of gratitude. I saw mm. what happens when I invest in them, when I spend time with them, when I mentor them, when I set up this guest speaker with free food that mm -hmm. I figured out how to get, or they go rock climbing, mm. or, you know, 
all these, the more I invested in them, the more I put into them, the more joy was on their face, the more they cared about our mission, the more they just got it. Mm. And I was like, this is, I'm onto something here. Like, Mm -hmm. like what is happening? Like, this Mm -hmm. is crazy. And I started highlighting them on social media. I just started putting them on Facebook, like once a month and once a week. Yeah. I started getting to know them and posting a picture of them in uniform. And sometimes their family's never seen them in uniform. I didn't know that. But then it was shared like 20, 30 times. Wow. Thousands of people liking and commenting on because they've never seen their son in his uniform. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, like there's families out there that never see their kid and right. never know, and don't know what they're up to or doing. And I used that platform to get them out there and to be, mm. you know, proud of themselves. And it just, that brought me an insane amount of joy. Mm. Like to be able to show them, to instill pride in them. Yeah. You know, when they didn't see it before was brought me an insane amount of joy. Mm. And then when COVID hit, I thought I need to take and honor guards coming to a close for me. Mm-hmm. What do I do? What, how do I keep this going? I, I know it's something I appreciate and I love. And then I stumbled across the llama lounge <laughs> with our friend, Joe Bogdan. And yes. I found out he's not, he's a chief. He, so he's an, an airman. Yeah. And he's doing it. He's doing exactly what I wanted to do. And he's, he showed me that it's possible. You can yes. be active duty and you can find time to figure this out and make this happen. Yeah. And although he is superhuman, but yes, he is he, superhuman. I he, think he might be an Android something. Yes. I'm not convinced he's human. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we are big friends, Joe Bogdan. So. Absolutely. So after I saw that podcast, it clicked. I was like, that's it. That's what I'm missing. That's the answer. Awesome. And how long have you been doing it? Oh, geez. How long have I been doing it? Four months. Four months. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And is it just the joy of your life? The original intent of it is to highlight stories of people that you may not even realize that person's carrying. Mm. I've always been one to like poke and prod mm-hmm. in people's lives in a good way, yeah. not like a nosy way, but like because I'm genu- I'm genuinely interested. Yeah, I want to know what makes them tick. I've mm-hmm. always been like that. Yeah, me too. I've always and in in my first career field in age, there's a lot of quiet time with people because like if you're working at night on the flight line on a 12 hour shift and there's no activity on the flight line, it's you and another person sitting in the truck waiting for a call. Wow. And so we naturally start asking questions yeah. and. You know, a few months go by, you know that person's life story. Exactly. And you would know all the things they went through. And then I started realizing, like, no one else knows that this guy, you know, yeah. lost his parents in a car accident when they were young. And mm-hmm. his he was raised by his grandparents and had all, you know, no one knows that about him except me. Mm. Like, that's, this is, had I not asked, I wouldn't know. Right. So it just started, you know, hearing people's journey always stuck with me. I always took a piece of that with me. Same. And uh, so the original intent of my podcast is to do just that. It's to have everyone get something out of someone's story. Yeah. The same way I did my, you know, first six years in on all those late nights in the truck. Well, and someone's going to get a kick out of your story. They're going to take something <laughs> away, right? They're going to get so. a kick and they're going to get a takeaway for sure. I hope so. I hope, you know, if anyone's listening that's about to give up on themselves... I was almost given, I almost died. I almost gave up on myself multiple times waiting for the rock bottom. And I'm here today, a master sergeant, married, two kids, 
I got I it took one good year. Yeah. It took one good year of getting out of my comfort zone of doing all the things I was putting off. Mm-hmm. It took one year to turn my entire life around. That's it. Just one year. Awesome. And you know, Josh, I just have to say you're such an inspiring person just naturally and I love everything that you accomplished up until now that we get to meet. Yeah. Because it's yeah, you're just such an inspiration. So thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for putting in the work. Yes. Yeah, yes. I, I'm still doing it. Yeah. Exactly. It doesn't end. Right. Keep getting after it. Yeah. Keep showing up for yourself. So what do you would like to be remembered for? What would be your legacy? I kind of left the legacy in honor guard a bit. Okay. I say that because I can't tell you how many times an airman has come to me. I've had airmen come to me and tell me they didn't commit suicide because of their time in honor guard. Mm. I've had airmen break down and ask for help because they felt comfortable enough in the environment we created. Yeah. I've had airmen who were assaulted come forward Wow. Against their assailants because wow. they had the courage to do so. Mm-hmm. We've had airmen tell me they were going to get out. Now they're becoming an officer. Mm. So if I were to be remembered as anything, it would be to show them a different side of the Air Force, a different side of their life, and to just reignite that flame for someone whose flame is about to go out. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And you are doing that. No, before you're even gone. So you're living out your legacy. So thank Absolutely. you. It's a blessing. It really is. It, it, it's, there's more, there's so much joy and you can't be happy by yourself. Right. You can't be happy by yourself. Like you, you got to fill your cup and you got to pour into others. Mm-hmm. And if you're not happy, that may be what you're missing. I, I agreed. Totally agree. So tell us where people can connect with you, your podcast, social media, all the things. So I'll make this part quick. If you've listened this far, I owe you a hug. (laughs) And I will follow up on that. And he's a good hugger. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, he's a great hugger. See? (laughs) This is what going on tour gets you. So yes, it's called Hero Front, the podcast. One word, H-E-R-O-F-R-O-N-T, Hero Front, named after the Color Guard team in the Honor Guard who carry our nation's flag and the Air Force flag who are at the front of all ceremonies and parades, and they mm. look like heroes. Yeah. That is what my podcast is named after, and it's on YouTube if you like video. Full videos uploaded, clips uploaded. So I got the whole Joe Rogan copycat clips. Nice. Yeah, I love that he puts clips out there. Yeah. So that's my inspiration got for it. doing that. Probably because I have ADD, but that's okay. And uh, also on all the major platforms, Pandora, Mm. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any music streaming app on your phone. If you type in Herofront, it'll probably pop up. Awesome. Well, Josh, I have one more question left. But before I ask, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for taking time away from your family. I know you're super busy, especially with the two little kids. To come and meet me in yes. person as I'm on tour. and I couldn't miss the opportunity. And share uh, a meal as well as being able to interview you. So thank you for being here. And you're a natural. You just had me just open it up. Like, are you sure you're not there? Are you a therapist? <laughs> well, you're, you're well a, I'm a coach. So you're a coach and yeah. you do hair. Yeah. That equals So, yeah, I'm a therapist. Chair, a therapist. <laughs> I, I just made that word up, by the way. Cherapist. There we that go. That should be one of your like hashtags or on. That's your brand. Cherapist. Right. Cherapist. There we go. Because you had me just open it up. Like I just wanted to tell you everything. So you're very talented, 
and mm-hmm. you care a lot about us. So thank you for spending time with me too. Thank you. I appreciate that. So my last question I always like to leave um, the interview with is what phrase, scripture, or mantra are you living by right now? Okay, so probably if you're going to beat me, you're going to have to bleed to do it. Ooh, that's tough. (laughs) There's that troublemaker coming out again. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm only saying that because of current events, which I won't get into because they're current events. You never want to elaborate on that. But the reason I like the first of all, it's Prefontaine whose quote that is. Prefontaine is a one of the most famous 5K runners of all time in American history because he was a maverick. Mm. He didn't fit the mold of a runner, which is very hippie and mm-hmm. aloof and just kind of living their life, you know, calm and peacefully. He was an attacker. He played he was going to get you, you know, he got in your head. And he was tough, and people weren't used to him. He also looked like my dad, so I, mm, I, I appreciate that, it. too. My dad was a, a runner, a track runner. And uh, Prefontaine, he, his dream was to go to the Olympics, and he did make it to the Olympics. I won't spoil the ending of the movie or his life. I, you know, If anyone's listening, Prefontaine, watch the movie. It's a great movie. But the quote, if you're going to beat me, you're going to have to bleed to do it. It's because mm. they would often, their feet would get very beaten, bloody. Sure. But that was his attitude yeah. that he took with him. And and the reason I love that attitude is because it's not saying you can't beat me. Right? Yeah. I'm going to get beat. Right. But you better bring it if you're coming at me. <laughs> you're going to have to work for it. Right. And that's going to keep a lot of things at bay that won't even want to try you mm. if that's your attitude. Mm. So that's the fire inside, you know. When people are attacking your character or, you know, the haters out there that try to tear you down on who you are because you're getting after it and that just rubs them the wrong way, yeah. don't let them. Yeah. Make them bleed if they're going to take you down. Mm. Love it. So that's my current favorite uh, phrase. Love it. Love it. Love, <laughs> Hopefully love that it. wasn't too hardcore. <laughs> no, it's great. Actually, it's great. So, Josh, thank you for being here. Yes. In one of my favorite restaurants ever. Panera. Panera. My other favorite restaurant is Chick Fil A. That will be oh, there. You go. So on your next road trip, okay, we'll be in Chick Fil A. Oh, hey, it sounds good. And I will be a very happy camper. <laughs> sounds good. So thank you for listening to the, the Power of Investing in People with Shay Sparks. Check out if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a five star review. And until next time, let's get fired up. Don't turn this off just yet. Does the thought of collaborating and connecting with a diverse group of creative thought leaders appeal to you? Do you have a compelling story and don't know where to start? Have you ever thought about writing a book and thought about writing the whole book is overwhelming? Well, we are looking for you. We want to connect and collaborate with other podcasters, coaches, and entrepreneurs who want to gain exposure. We are looking for other people who want to co-author a book with us. You can find out more details at firestartersbookproject.com.